0: What did you I get? I managed
1: to get 91 the other day. What? Um, yeah.
0: I've, I got 90 the other night. I'm upset now. <laughs> I can only do 66. NZMac.com supporting the New Zealand Mac community. Okay, and welcome to podcast episode 27 from NZMac.com. My name's Philip Roy, the site owner operator, and joining me tonight is David. How are you, Dave? How are you doing there, Phil? Hi, Darren.
1: Hey, Phil. Hi, oh, Dave. Hi
0: and that's our other regular darren otherwise known as loaded wookie um this is a chemically enhanced podcast i should mention tonight um we're either ill or ailing or just celebrating the fact that somebody's fridge has come back to life and having a beer or two so uh, thank you for joining us chemically enhanced podcast oh man
2: we're gonna get emails
0: So, um, the big news I think we just start with today is uh, Apple's um, reports, results of their second quarter, the finance results, and what I found the most fascinating by it is the fact that um, more really just the the press in the week beforehand, all the people speculating that it was going to be down on any other report, um, that Apple wasn't going to be able to cope in the dire financial times that we're all facing. And in fact, it is the best quarter for this period that they have ever had. So what were the
2: results? Because I haven't actually even seen that yet.
0: Okay. The results were that they posted a revenue of $8.16 billion and a net quarterly profit of $1.21 billion. What did the analysts... Predict.
2: Oh, sorry. What was, eight point one six billion rev? What was it uh, last? Did they
0: do it for the previous year? Did they indicate what that was? Uh, they would somewhere, but I'm desperately yeah. trying to read a oh, fairly sorry. Lengthy, sorry. um yeah. thing. Yeah, seven point five
1: one billion. A year if ago. I'm reading that para- paragraph right. Yes, wow. I think you're right, Darren. Second yeah. line of the the um, uh, the report that's on um, the website. Wow. <laughs> but
0: I, but I was staggered by how many um, you know. Places like TechCrunch and ours were quoting business analysts who were saying there's no way that Apple's going to do it again.
2: Mm. And, and,
0: and, and let's be clear, this is not a record quarter. In other words, it's not their best quarter ever, but it's a record for this time of year, which mm. is traditionally a bad time of year, according to Apple, because it's in, amongst, it's in between holidays and, and, and events. So it's usually their quiet quarter. Mm. Hmm.
1: I, I to be honest, I think anyone who takes the um the word of an analyst um as gospel is basically setting themselves up for failure, especially when you're talking about Apple. I mean, every single time someone comes out and says, Oh, Apple's gonna fail and, and blah blah blah, Apple comes out and just blows every expectation out of the water, you know, and I I don't think you can really look at the negative side of it, um and and take that as you know too much, because people want Apple to fail
0: mm, you, know, you, you just look
1: at the way that they're talking they want Apple to fail and, and Apple just keeps basically giving them the finger you know?
0: oh, the, the interesting thing is I think if I was a business analyst there was, there'd be no way that I would make a call like that because mm. you know, um, I think some people think "Oh, this is going to be an easy guess because of the uh, financial crisis around the world but e- even so I still wouldn't have been as bold as some of them had been
1: Mm. But I, I think mm. e, so using the um, uh, what do you call it the the current economic status um, to to make predictions, I, I think that's a bit of an easy way out. To be honest, it doesn't really require any real research or, or anything.
0: Um, you know, not no, everyone's
1: going to fail in, in the recession.
0: No, but the other historical factors that you know. Uh, tech companies aren't doing all that well at the moment. I mean, I don't think there's very many others that are reporting too many uh, yeah. outstanding profits. Although look, you then... at what
1: the t- look at what the tech companies are doing. They're not yeah. really innovating. They're just rehashing the same rubbish that everyone else has got. Um, yes.
0: and it's pretty amazing, you know, if there is a, a financial crisis at the moment to see, you know, Oracle about to purchase Sun for billions <laughs> of dollars. Yeah,
1: and that that would be quite interesting. I'd love to see what comes out of that because, I mean, we're, we're talking about two companies that aren't diametrically opposed. They're, they're not competing with each other as such. Um, but it gives Oracle the ability to have really sturdy platforms to, to, say, distribute as Oracle servers, which I think will enhance their business. And with the backing that you've got from the guy that owns Oracle, I think it'll do quite well for Sun as well.
0: Mm. And um, I think it was TechCrunch listed uh, or linked to a historical article of theirs from a few years back where supposedly um, Sun and Apple were in quite serious talks to either merge or one to buy the other at certain points. And um, Mm. the the people said that... um, there had been quite some serious discussions over a number of years, although it was said in a fairly general way at some time. I mean, saying yes, there has been talks, doesn't really mean a lot. But so, what's is is
2: this is on the back of, of presumably of iPod and iPhone sales? Is that right?
0: No, I think that'll re- be part of
1: it, yeah. but it wouldn't be the main reason. I, th- I think people are just sort of starting to wake up to the fact that Microsoft isn't the the be all and end all of desktop operating systems i mean mm. i think the failure of vista has been nothing but good for for mac users because people are looking at Vista saying this is rubbish i don't want to come near this and so they start looking for alternatives and and well who's the biggest most visible um alternative to windows of course it's the mac
0: yeah the the, the oracle Sun thing is supposedly a, a, a strong merging of software systems and uh, server systems or hardware. Yeah, hmm. uh, That's the proposal there. But yeah, no, a really good news. The only other interesting thing, uh, I had a quick read of all the um, I think Apple Insider had a very good article of notes of interest related to the um, announcement today and uh, I was in a bit of a hurry but the one I did note is that iPod sales um, stripped Mac sales quite significantly. Ah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. that that explains where a lot of the revenue came from. Huh. Okay. Um, tonight's podcast is all about backups, which you should all do, and we say that quite seriously. You should all be backing up your Macs. I know they're wonderful machines, but um, when things do happen, that's the time that you wish that you should be backing up Macs. And... Um, <laughs> One of the things we're going to start off doing is we're going to mention a podcast that David mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, and that's called My Digital Life, and you can find that at mydl.me. Now, it's into a, it's about its third episode. Um, one of the comments that I've made to these guys via email is I do like the fact that it comes up with some quite sensible advice. Uh, the last podcast came up with one that I've experienced myself, is, and that is just because you are doing a backup doesn't mean that that backup is uh, working and safe. Mm, and yeah. so they recommend, and I, I think it's announced on the web quite a bit these days, they recommend that every Friday the 13th, um, they you should call that your test my backup day. In other words, I, I've had an experience where I've, I've uh, lost files and I thought, not to worry, I'll go to my backup and discovered that I hadn't been backing up the files that oh, I thought I had. No. no. So I was doing this wonderfully robust system, but I hadn't checked to make sure that I was actually doing it properly. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was the most sensible advice. Don't just be complacent and assume that because you're backing up that everything is working rosy. Um, But the other thing about episode three of the podcast was there was a a discussion there from a guest about a number of hard drives, and I flicked that through to Darren and asked him if he would comment on some of the recommendations that this chat made.
1: Um, For the most part, I I kind of agree with what they were saying. Um, I I was actually kind of more concentrating on what they were saying about the drives themselves. Um, I mean... Personally, I actually don't do backups, as I've mentioned on a couple of times before, but I tend to get around that by having data that I want on um, separate drives. So I'll have a drive for video, drive for downloads and, um, and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, mean the, I think the guy that they were doing, uh, they were interviewing, if I recall correctly, he was um, part of the Drive Savers or something? Um, where they were physically getting data off drives that had failed. Yes, I think so. Um, which, yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that, you know, once you delete a file, that's gone. What That's actually incorrect. Mm. Um, what it does normally is when you delete a file, um, it just flags the file and say, hey, look, you know, I've been deleted, but it hasn't actually deleted that space. So you can actually get... Um, software tools to, uh, and may even be some in macOS ten itself. I don't know, um, but you can actually get tools that will undelete those files. Um, of course, if you have a hard drive crash, um, and like the, the hard drive is physically damaged or something like that, um, then you need to get these guys into. Um, sort of examine the drive and they may or may not be able to get data off and it may or may not be um, stuff that you can um, sort of use. Mm. But um, the thing that I was sort of concentrating on more, because um, uh, Phil, you you mentioned that they were sort of um, ragging on the Western Digitals, which mm. I have basically, um, I pretty much bet my life on them. Um, one of the things I came across there, um, they kind of lost a lot of credibility, with me when they were saying that because uh one thing you got to actually take into account there is actually no such thing as an external hard drive there is a hard drive in an external enclosure but there's no such thing as a like a physical external hard drive and they were basically talking about these in drive enclosures um as though they were hard drives so when they when the guy was talking about Western Digital Drives, um, uh, you know, having all those problems, like they've got that copy button that um, doesn't work under MacOS team, which seems to be about the only thing that he was ragging on the Western Digitals. That's right, yeah. Um, he He's not actually physically talking about the drive. He's talking about the enclosure, which That's is right. a completely yeah. separate thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. And for these so-called, you know, Tech guys that are you know industry um, uh, heavyweights to make such a rookie mistake, <laughs> I, I found it quite difficult to listen to the podcast. Mm. Um, but the the thing is, the guy who was ragging on the um, the so called external drives from Western Digital said that their internal drives, which is actually the same drive that's in these enclosures anyway. Um, he was saying that they're they're quite high up there, um, which is what I was getting at. I, I, when I talk about a Western Digital drive, I'm talking physically about the hard drive. Mm. Um, and Western Digital, I've been working in IT for around about 10 years now. Um, and of all the drives that have failed the least, it's Western Digital. Um, mm. And then I've... Uh, I, I think Samsung are actually quite a good brand, and I would be a bit wary about Seagate, um, especially now that they've bought Maxtor. Uh, Maxtor are the worst. I wouldn't touch those with a ten foot barge pole. Um, they're such a bad drive. Um, like at one stage, they made, they did a batch um, that one of our customers basically replaced every hard drive and all the machines that they had, and we're talking about around about two thousand machines just in Wellington alone. Mm. Um, the uh, the the Maxters were such a bad drive in the end. I think um, IBM replaced them all with Fujitsu's, which I've had quite a good dealing with. I think they're quite a good drive.
0: Um, he, he the, rated sorry, he rated Seagate as highest, didn't he? Which surprised me.
1: Well, once again, it comes back to the fact that he was talking about the drive enclosures as opposed to the drives. Oh, okay. Um, the drives themselves. I mean, if you're getting the really high-end um, server drives, Seagate are actually quite good. They, um, they're really expensive brand brand of drives are actually really good quality drives. The problem is when you're starting to get into like the Barracuda drives. Um, the Barracudas now are actually rebadged Mech store drives. So, hmm. uh, basically, I, I would stay away from the Barracudas as, as much as possible. Um, but if anything above the Barracuda, I probably would recommend from Seagate.
0: From mm. The the button that Darren's talking about for those that aren't sure what we mean is that um, some of these drives have a a backup button on the external enclosure. Now, it's a bit like the scanner that I have sitting here that has these wonderful icons that if I want to scan something and immediately email it, In theory, on the front of it, I should just push this one little wee button. The problem is that's on a PC. Yeah. And on a a Mac, that button doesn't do anything. And the same with – this is what the guy was saying about the hard drive for Mac users. It's wonderful that it's got this little wee button on the front that says, yes, do a backup. But if you push that and you're a Mac user, well, nothing happens.
1: But I – I think that's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, you're talking about a button that you press to kick off a backup, but Time Machine does it automatically anyway.
0: Oh, yes, you yeah, know, what so, I'm saying is that, you know, that for a Mac user, that button is wasted. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's and,
2: superfluous. You don't, really, yeah. you don't really need it. Right. Uh,
0: and the interesting thing is that some of those drives are, are being um, uh, marketed specifically for the Macintosh. Yeah. Um, but at the,
2: at the same
1: time, though, like, to get that working on Windows, you have to install software. It's not like you just hmm. plug the driver and hit the copy button and it... Oh, all, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally
0: agree. Yeah, just... Um, um, just like the scanner here though, it doesn't come with mm. a Mac version of that. But these I are mean, pretty
2: it- common products though. I mean these are what you get at Dick Smith, these are what people go and buy and they spend, you know, two, three hundred dollars and they get a five hundred gigabyte USB two hard drive that they use to back up iPhoto. And mm. I guess the fact that the button doesn't work, I mean, I'm not sure they really care for the most no. part. I mean some nah. some people might get at home and say and they start pressing the button and say, Why doesn't this work? but yeah, they mm. may,
0: Yeah. Mm. Da- Darren, can we go back to the your sort of opening part and, and why don't you back up? Do you I mean when you when you say drive, now let me get this clear though. Though um external drives are not a partition of your hard drive or anything like that?
1: Uh well I, I kind of do. I have a partition on my hard drive, uh, my internal drive. Um So I've got, like, a data partition, then I've got my normal system partition. And the only applications that sit on my system partition are the ones that tend to have installers that won't allow you to install into other partitions. Hmm. Um, Otherwise, you know, the normal drag-and-drop install um, applications, I keep them on... Um, a separate partition on that internal drive. So if, if there's something that I, I want to have ready access to, like, you know, say Final Cut, or, well, actually Final Cut installs to system, but say um, Flux or Coder or, or something like that, they'll be sitting on my other partitions so that if I have to rebuild the machine, I don't have to go around trying to reinstall all the applications and all that. Um because the the petition itself is is still there, none of that data is um uh sort of um sitting on the system where I have to worry about oh if I do this, have I backed up this file or have I backed up that file um so that that's kind of one um aspect of backing up that i I would do um the other reason <clears throat> that I tend not to do backups is um the stuff that I probably do want easy. Access to um, files and all that—that that maybe I should back up all my video files because um, I'm working in raw DV. I've only got one drive that is actually big enough to handle all of that. I don't actually have another drive that that I can actually sort of um, use as a um, a backup to back up all those um, things because all, all the other drives I got are actually smaller than the one that all my mm-hmm. video files are on.
0: Um, a what about things like your iPhoto libraries now, and 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 by a backup there? I don't necessarily mean a backup, but I mean have you got them somewhere else, like on on in your dot Mac account or on a DVD somewhere? I don't mean to jinx you, but I'm just slightly worried. You know <laughs> what happens if your Mac um, craps out or um, gets pinched?
1: Um, yeah, well, I have. Um, I do have a copy of them. Somewhere, um, I've started getting back into Aperture. I thought you know it would be quite cool to try out faces and all that with um, iPhoto, but I, I found that um, I wasn't really using those features, so I started moving back to Aperture. And Aperture has um, a thing in there called Vault, um, and so you store a Vault um, on a, a different partition, and then it sort of automatically backs up to, the Vault to the um, The other um, place where you've stored the um, – well, where the vault is sitting, when you shut down, it'll um, back up to that vault. So you've basically got um, two copies of the um, application – sorry, two copies of the library. Um, So if you do have to roll back or if something's happened to the main one, you can access the vault and pull back all your photos that way. Um, That's on one
2: spindle, though. That's still on one hard drive spindle.
1: No, we well, save the vault to wherever you want Oh, I see, okay So okay. so you have your main aperture library sitting on wherever it is So in, in this case, it'll be on the system um, folder um, And then, yeah, you basically, um, with the vault, you're using that as your backup So and I don't do a backup in the traditional sense of a backup But I would do it using the um, the systems that are already uh, in place
0: and, um, and no form of off-site backup in any way?
1: Nah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I know I should. But...
0: Playing with fire. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, you know, I love
1: fire, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <of> pice- <laughs> okay, we we
0: really hope that we never have to say we told you so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I,
1: I have in the past lost iPhoto libraries where I've forgotten to back it up before I've rebuilt my machine because I I rebuild my machine quite often. Hence, the reason that I thought oh, it's a better idea if I just have a partition, set up a partition, and then I if I do rebuild because um, I'm I'm playing with software and all that all the time, sort yeah. of, and mm-hmm. things tend to get a, a little bit corrupted. So I like to start from a clean slate. Um, so I have been bitten a, a couple of times in the past. Um, but you sort of learn from that, and you, you tend to um, sort of make a, a, a copy everywhere else. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, eventually I will get around to getting me an, another drive. Um, I, I want to get a couple of terabyte drives, stick in my data whale, and then I'll probably use one of the drives that I take, which instantly came out of my Western Digital MyBooks that everyone was ragging on. Um, <laughs> um, probably stick that back into an enclosure and, and use that as a... Um, a time machine backup. Haven't no. physically connected my machine, but yeah, at probably. the moment I haven't really got any data that yeah. is
2: you sensitive. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It,
0: and Dave, you've from memory you've got quite a robust backup system, and you do do offsite. But you've also been mulling over the idea of b- purchasing a time capsule. Yeah, I thought, I've been thinking about a time capsule for the, like, probably since the last the
2: last podcast, and, and only what brought it on was that when they re- or when they introduced the um, the new versions of it, which allow you to have, uh, uh, you know, dual band at the same time. So you can have B and N network, G and N network, sorry, going at the same time, which is kind of neat. Um, I kind of happened onto the Apple store and looked around and said, well, I wonder, what, wonder if they've got anything on clearance of the old ones. And sure enough, they've got old refurb uh, time capsules. You can get a 500 gig for $429 delivered free here, anywhere in New Zealand. So I thought, well... That's not bad. Because a, a a good buddy of mine back in Canada always says to me that the the speed that he gets out of his Airport Extreme router is better than any other any other router that he's had, and he reckons that the quality of the router itself is just second to none. And that I figured, well, I, what I would do is I would get a, a pretty good router, and I've got a I've got a D-Link. I think it's a six one four. A T six one four plus, so it it functions as an all in one, which I usually don't like. But I figured what I would do is I would turn off the routing function of the D Link, and then just use the Time Capsule, and I you know I'd get a fairly good router, and I'd get a five hundred gig hard drive at the same time. Mm. Well,
1: what you could do is is actually have don't don't turn off the routing feature of the other one, um, bridge the airport off off the other one, and just basically have. Um, you know, one modem at one end of the house and the uh, the other router at the.
2: Um... Yeah, I thought of that, and then I figured, well, then I'm not really taking advantage of the you know the 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 perceived you know high quality routing functions of the uh, of of the Airport Extreme or sort of the Time Capsule. So I figured, well, there's not much sense in that. And the other confounding factor in all of this was the fact that my the six one four D Link that I have doesn't have a WAN port. Now, from what I've determined it 's still possible to kind of hang a, a time capsule off of it and have that time capsule
1: you won't in- need it though because if it 's a modem and a router then you won 't need the WAN port because it's designed the WAN port's designed to if you 've got a modem that plugs into the um, uh, it's designed for the modem to plug into the WAN port so that then the router can distribute that network.
2: Oh okay. So it's um, not a it doesn't so I can cuz all I've got on that router on that 614 is literally three ethernet ports. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um and and a DSL jack obviously. So mm-hmm. literally I could plug that time capsule into one of those one of those ports. Those LAN ports is what they are. Yep. And and then I can still I can turn the routing function of the D-Link off and have the time capsule act as my router. Yep. Okay, well, yeah. in
1: theory, anyway, but yeah, you you definitely have to go out from the Ethernet and then into the um, yeah. uh, the the um, WAN port on the um, on the um, on the time capsule. Time capsule. Well, right? I see. One of the other things that kind
2: of got me against buying it was that I figured, well, what really, what did I what did I really want to use it for? And I thought, well, I, I just I needed another spindle for backup. I need one more spindle for a backup. Um, and I figured, well, that might that might kill two birds with one stone, and plus it'd you know, be kind of nice to see how the thing works. But then I started reading around online and looking at it. I thought, well, can I partition it? Well, no, not unless you open it up and you know put the hard drive in a in another enclosure and then format it GUID and partition it that way. In which case, you've just violated sorry, you've just voided any warranty you would have gotten from it. So uh, on the Time Capsule, that is, so I figured, well. Well, that's not going to do me much good. I don't really need 500 gigabytes for a time capsule backup. I really don't. You can't,
0: Uh, sorry, you can't partition a time capsule drive.
2: Apparently not. You have to remove it from the enclosure to do it. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently not. Isn't
1: there a tool floating around that um, allows you to edit the the time capsule so Uh, you can actually start doing stuff like that? I don't know.
2: I mean it maybe there is, but i I kind of looked at that and I thought, well that's a strike against it and then I thought then then the other thing and and i'm hoping see now i'm actually starting to think maybe i should, maybe I should buy it if there's a tool that'll let me do it and I can do it, use it with my with my existing router slash modem well then maybe I should um, but the other the other confounding factor was the fact that i've heard that if I'm on a Skype call, for example, like this one and um I'm going to be hardwired into the time capsule and the time capsule starts doing a backup or sorry now how does this work not not that I'm hardwired in but if I'm on a wireless network you can back up wirelessly to the time capsule as you know right if you're on a Skype call there's no way of prioritizing that bandwidth to say look stop you know I guess you could stop the, the time capsule but there's no way of actually prioritizing in the airport utility that you know, you want to give priority to voice over IP applications such as Skype so that if I'm on a Skype call like this one and all of a sudden it starts doing a backup, well, then I get really Skypey and you guys can't hear me and then the podcast is ruined. But I would have to go in and quickly say, stop doing the backup. And that might take, a, you know, 30 seconds to stop doing it. And in the meantime, you just kind of lost your Skype connection. So I thought, well, don't know. No, no. And do I really need, you know, something like that to happen? And mm, I started yeah. thinking, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not for me.
0: I don't. know about the 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 issue with Skype, but that's one I'd never really thought of actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be an issue, I suppose, particularly if you had multiple machines that decided to all hit your wireless network yeah. and and do a backup. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Dave, what do you do at the moment in terms of backups? I know you've talked about it before.
2: Yeah, I have. I have. I have three. I go. I call them spindles. That's not the right word, is it? I have three basically uh, external drives. I've got a here in the house. I've got a 750 gig. External, which is run on a—I can't remember what the brand is—but it's run in the, the enclosure itself is a Mac Power one, so it's eSATA, uh, FireWire 800, and FireWire 400, as well as USB 2. So it's a—it's the granddaddy, and that's a 750 gig hard drive, and that's partitioned three ways. Um, there's a a daily clone that gets done by SuperDuper. There's a weekly clone that gets done by SuperDuper, and then there's a—I can't remember the size of it—but a, a time machine. Um, partition in there, the other external drive I have is at work, and that is um, that is USB only, and that's just the two hundred and fifty gig that is just every day when i 'm in the office first thing in the morning it gets the the MacBook pro that I use uh, as my only computer gets completely mirrored using super duper. The third is one of those little LaCie rugged hard drives you know the ones that have the kind of the orange kind of um, you know rubber exterior they 're really really good. The problem is it's a 160 gig hard drive, I think it is, and it's no longer big enough to handle a complete mirror of my drive, but I use a different uh, software application, which is going to be my pick, which I'll talk about later, to just do backups to it. So normally what I used to do before, you know, what, what ended up happening is that my iPhoto library got too big taking pictures of our kid, so then now it's t- it's actually too big for that particular hard drive, so... Um, when I travel, I used to, I, I brought that, let rugged with it, with me wherever I went. And I still do now when I travel. Um, and I just use it for backing up of my critical data. So I've got three spindles, but two of them are mirrors. Um, and I count the one here, even though it's got three partitions, I count it as one because, um, if the drive dies, then that's it. I've lost my time machine backup. I've lost my daily clone and I've lost my weekly clone, which is done every Saturday night at three 30 in the morning. So I've lost that. So I count it as one drive, and that's why I want another spindle.
0: Mm. Mm. And and obviously, by the sounds of that, you keep your um, Mac running constantly.
2: It's on all the time, yeah. And this, and this machine has some pretty mission-critical data on it. I mean, it's got my entire life. It's got um, some pretty confidential information that's locked down in um, encrypted disk images, like some work I do with the city council here in Dunedin. So, I mean... Um, you know, it, it there's stuff in there that's pretty sensitive, so it needs to be backed up. It needs to it needs to exist elsewhere.
0: Mm. Yeah, that that sounds great. Mm. Um and, and I know it probably those people listening might think it sounds a little bit complex at first, but w- once it's set up, it's fairly effective and off yeah. and running.
2: Yeah, it just it oh. takes care of itself. I think super duper. I mean, it's I think I've said this in the podcast. It's been my pick, I think once. Um, it must have been. And I just think that... I remember reading about it before I switched back into Mac, and I remember thinking that was something, an entire mirror, a bit-for-bit mirror, a bit-for-bit clone of a hard drive is something that Windows struggled to do. I mean, you had... I can't even remember the name of the applications, but I remember looking at them thinking, maybe that's what I should get when I was running XP on a little IBM ThinkPad. I thought, maybe that's what I should get. And then you'd read... Forum posts of people who would have absolute nightmares with this software because they could never get it to work. They could never get, they could never rescue a clone if they had to because it would never be quite the same. And it's because of the Windows registry. The way Windows operates doesn't really allow you to do it as easily.
1: There are tools um, on the Windows side like Ghost. Ghost is absolutely brilliant uh, utility, Um, although it sort of got a little bit weird after version 7. but one Ghost is, is like a bit-for-bit bit thing. If there was something like Ghost on the Mac, that would be great. But um,
2: but isn't that but what SuperDuper Duper is? is? Super uh, Duper is bit-for-bit. Bit. It's literally bit-for-bit. Bit. Well, I shouldn't say it's file-for-file. It
1: file? File? Does it store it like in a DMG file or something like
2: that? No, it just stores it raw. Uh, it basically makes an exact duplicate of what's on your hard drive right now. Yeah, and file-for-file, file it doesn't. It.
1: What Ghost does is um, basically it'll take a, a bit for bit um, backup of your drive, but it also compress it to. Um, well, I say bit for bit; it only does what is actually on you know being used by the machine. Yeah, um, enough, yeah. And and then it creates a, a compressed archive file of it, so you can basically fit say a forty gig. Um, system and to say like two or three gig um
2: yeah my understanding of ghost was that it does it does that bit for bit because that's the only way you can actually clone a windows machine is if you do it Mm. that way and and these days with 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 um hard drives being so cheap and so huge i don't care about um compression i mean i really don't i mean my gosh you can get 500 gig hard drive these days for how much are they 200 or something like that Oh,
0: yeah, less than that, depending yeah. how you do it. Yep.
1: <laughs> we we get. I think I can get like two terabyte drives for about two hundred and fifty through work, because cool. we get it all at wholesale. Yeah. And
0: incredible. he says that after I bought my drives. Well, I never asked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to do that. But Dave, the the um the clone that you're talking about effectively makes. A bootable version of yeah. your computer on the external hard drive. That's correct? right.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, and so it, means, it means you means you can. And the the whole idea of it is that if for whatever reason this hard drive in the MacBook Pro suddenly dies tomorrow morning, it doesn't. Um, well, I don't turn it off. But let's say I wake up in the morning and there's you know there's a, a sad Mac face on my screen. I can literally just boot up off the uh, the clone that was done, the backup that was done at one thirty because that's what time it does it every night. Um, and just continue working as if nothing was wrong and just and, order a new SATA drive.
0: And do you, like they suggest on Friday the 13th, do you test that backup now no. and then to make sure you can boot from it? Not that often. No, actually, I tell a lie.
2: Every once in a while when I do um, disk repair.
0: I quite I quite like the Friday the 13th idea, yeah. you know. It's it's a day you know that something bad's going to happen and and it's probably in your head that that's going to happen, so it might be a good i good day to think well maybe I think they're calling it international check your backup day or something like that. And um, you can see a
2: lot of people going check your what?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's just I mean as I say, I mean my my experience was trivial although it was the uh it was a 3,000 word uh uh um assignment which i accidentally deleted and thought oh don't worry you know a couple of days ago i took a backup to work drove to work and discovered that there was one folder that i hadn't been backing up and that was all my assignments wow so i mean that's that's where you really need to uh, start checking things i think
2: yeah i mean i tell I, i tell a lot of my students that um when I lecture is that they the biggest the biggest thing that they can do, the biggest favor they can do themselves is I mean, we give them disk space on the um on the server and that's usually pretty robust I would say and that I think is backed up. But I always tell them, look, your best investment is, you know, get a couple of little USB pen drives and uh start kind of getting into the habit of archiving things just in case you accidentally delete something off the server and you might think, Well, Jesus, where did it go? And you've got something, you've, you know, you've got it in your top drawer of your chest of drawers that you've, you know, got a little USB pen drive, a two gig one that'll hold anything and everything. And you've yeah. got it there.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my experiences now. Um, I've, I've just posted a review of a product that I purchased uh, probably about a week ago now or just a little bit longer over Easter. Uh, I think we may have mentioned it before. It's called the Voyager Q. It's from a company called Nuatech, but I purchased from um, totallymac.com. And um, I'd just like to give a shout-out to Daniel because uh, Totally Mac is an exceptionally uh, uh, useful Mac reseller based in Hamilton but have a superb online site. Um, Daniel's always been a big supporter of nzmac.com. A little piece of trivia for you. He was the first reseller to ever sponsor a contest, indeed the opening contest. Uh, for nzmac.com hmm. so great little wee website and i purchased that it's a little bit expensive um about 260 dollars um have a read of the review but just to explain what what my backup policy is i'm, I'm a firm believer in off-site backups hmm. i want to have a copy of of my important documents um, photos and things like that and must study documents and, and, and more important material somewhere else, uh, external to this house. Um, I'm not keen on the notion of online backup. I've, I, I know that there are a lot of companies, even New Zealand companies now that offer that service, but there's still this slight aspect that I, I, regardless of the encryption and all these sorts of things, I just feel, one, uncomfortable about sending important data to somewhere else. And secondly, um, I don't want to chew up my bandwidth with even the first backup and the ones after that. Yeah, exactly. So so I wanted a a simple system, and I know that I probably frustrated a lot of people um, on the nzmac.com forums by asking for advice and and constantly (laughs) ignoring anything that was put to me because I really was trying to come up with something that was quite simple. And to give you an explanation, originally what I was doing was I was using the backup software that came with uh, a .Mac account or a .me account, um, and I was using that to create... um, what originally started as two, but then became three rewritable DVDs, and I would just do a backup once a month, uh, which was fine and fine for me. Um, I would then take those DVDs to work, where there was another another three that would come home and sit here for a month, waiting for the next um, backup to occur. the The problem that I faced was that backup started having problems with iPhoto libraries. And I couldn't resolve it no matter what I tried. And at the same time, my iPhoto libraries were were getting quite big. Um, One was spanning more than one DVD. Uh, So it, it, it got to the point of frustration. I still wanted to do something that was relatively simple. I've always wanted to have a play with Uh, Time Machine Mm. um, because I've set clients up uh, using Time Machine and they're just over the moon with its simplicity Um, and, of course, how cool it looks and, um, you know, you can go back in time and grab files and so on. So the the Voyager is just a little wee stand on which sits a external hard drive and that is the hard drive that you would buy um that would either go into a machine or into an external casing and it just slots in the, into the top and um I've got it running and then the plan is that once a month you would then um I'll pop out this um, external hard drive, take it to work where already uh, there is the other hard drive because I bought two of them. And I'll, I'll be honest, I just bought a couple of Tupperware containers to carry them in because <laughs> um, I couldn't find anything else. Yeah, it works. Did yeah, well, it yeah, the, the drives
1: the, not come in a container?
0: No, they came in an anti-static bag, bag but I, um, I I tried to ask him if he had a container, but he didn't have one available. And the, this wasn't from Totally Mac. I'll, I'll, I'll mention where... Um, Darren suggested I get them from in a moment. But um, so I just bought, they have got an anti-static bag and then I just put them into a Tupperware container that happens to fit perfectly. And the best news was that one of the reasons that I made this decision was that I found an article that said it's quite possible to use two drives with Time Machine. You just do an initial backup on both of them and then when I do the swap in a month's time, when I put the new drive that I'm bringing from work back home and put it into the Voyager queue, I just have to remember to go into Time Machine and select a new drive to to back up to because it will still be looking for the old hard drive. Oh, well, that's interesting. So,
2: no, so Phil, would you prefer that using Time Machine over um, like something like SuperDuper or Carbon Copy Cloner, that kind of thing? <laughs>
0: Um, At the moment, yes, uh, simply because it is um, fairly easy. But I've already said in the review that I don't think I will stay that way for a number of reasons. One, that the Voyager has to be on most of the time, um, obviously, to do um, Time Machine backups. Um, Two, because although I like Time Machine, I think at some point I will possibly start to see it as a little gimmicky. Mm. And... um, I, it's going to sound, uh, I'm contradicting myself, but after saying I like to keep things simple, I'm also starting to think I'd like a bit of control. And I would possibly like to do what you're talking about and doing a weekly backup and then a monthly backup. Mm. Uh, particularly because at the moment I've had to partition the drive as people on the forum will know based on some v- advice I got because I'm not backing up entourage with um Time machine. Now Entourage is my email client and the reason I don't do it is because it's basically one file, a database file. And so the moment I get an email in, that database file changes and Time Machine Time Machine says, Okay, that file has changed, so I need to back up this brand new file. And so that, you know, at the moment, that files 450 megabyte file is a 450-megabyte file. So I don't want to have to keep backing up 450 megabytes every time I receive an email and Time Machine kicks in.
1: Do you use the FireWire 800 connection?
0: Yes, I'm using the FireWire 800 uh, okay. simply because um, I don't use FireWire 800 for anything else. Yeah. Um, this is really interesting
2: because I mean, I'm looking at it right now on the Totally Max 8. Maybe this is something that I should get.
0: Now, is it Phil? Is it quiet? Like, is it is it exceptionally quiet? And this is a really interesting thing about it. And I didn't really think about this till I read a review. Um, Hard drives, and Darren might correct me if I'm wrong, but hard drives traditionally aren't that noisy anyway. It's really the things inside the computer keeping your computer cool, keeping the hard drive cool, and so on. Mm. So, because this hard drive is effectively sitting on top, exposed. It's it's cool. Yeah. So the only thing you get is the occasional whir of the hard drive.
2: So it 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 mounts right away. Like you just drop it in and it mounts. It does,
0: and it comes up, and you partition it, and then you get um, Time Machine going. You exclude what you want from Time Machine. Now the interesting thing I notice more activity on the hard drive, not from Time Machine, um, every two hours. But just when I'm opening a few files and so on I, I noticed that because I had the drives mounted on the desktop, that seemed to generate uh, disk activity every every time I opened up applications and so on. so yeah, I've cho-
1: probably a spotlight thing yeah, yeah so, so I've
0: also chosen that option. oh, I haven't excluded it from spotlight. no, you wouldn't want to, would you?
2: Uh, yeah you can i I exclude all of mine from spotlight there, there,
0: mm. you yeah, can, there's probably but, no but,
1: reason to have a backup drive um. Being initialized in Spotlight, mm. this ah, Time Machine would be doing all that.
0: But Time Machine, you can go back in Time Machine if you use Spotlight archiving because this is what I read, and you ah. can do do a uh, Spotlight search from three weeks ago in Time Machine. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. But do you actually need the drive spotlighted, or is that just uh, I, I Time believe- Machine? No, I cause... believe
0: so because that's what I read, and that's that's one of the things that I read about Time Machine. So I haven't I haven't um, excluded the external hard drives from Spotlight, but you may be right. That could be what the activity is. Um, mm. But but the, one of the things I, I, that has reduced the activity is I've chosen that option in um, the Finder preferences not to display my mounted hard drives on the desktop. Oh, okay, yeah. So I only know they're there when I open up a window now. So um. let me get this straight. So you you basically, you you, you, you the
2: the Voyager queue it's turned on, and basically yep. you just drop a hard drive into it. And yes. even, even though your computer is turned on and the Voyager queue is turned on, and then it mounts it right away. Yep. And then you do whatever it is you do, either a time machine or a super duper, and then you dismount it, and then you pull the drive out, and that's it
0: it has an on and off button and it also has a little wee tab down so i would probably switch it off Well, i i would unmount it Unmounted from the and Mac, switch it off yeah and then there's a little wee tab um, that you just push down and it pops up the drive
2: oh i have to i'm going to have to get one of these
0: yeah, now the the, the the site I wanted to mention, I'd had to look at it and I use it a lot, and 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 Darren, when I was flicking him emails, offered some advice as well. Um, it's not Mac related. It's a, a site called PriceSpy.co.nz. Yeah, I use that Sub, superb site. Mm. If you're not, uh, I mean. I, I wouldn't go there hunting for Macintosh bargains, but if you're just after sort of standard PC Mac tools like thumb drives, monitors, printers, and so on, you go there to pricebuy.co.nz, you type in um, what it is you're after, and it comes up with a list of all the shops around New Zealand and the price that they're selling those drives for at the moment. Mm. So I flicked down, I, I and I was still a bit confused by what SATA and eSATA and all this meant. And the the, the the drive I flicked down, I think, was 500 gigs. And he came back saying, well, look, hold on, you know, if you're buying drives, why not buy these one-gigabyte ones? And the two of them together was less than $400. You mean one yeah. terabyte? Yeah, two one-terabyte yeah. drives. Yeah.
2: Jeez.
0: So this whole on-site, off-site, one terabyte backup here and one terabyte at work, I mean, that's been less than $600 in total.
1: Mm. One thing to note, too, um, with the Voyager Q, if you look at the specs and all that, it says it drives up to two terabytes. Um, That's actually not entirely true. Uh, The reason that they're saying drives up to two terabytes is because at the moment there's only a two terabyte drive out there. That's the maximum size Mm. um, consumer. It'll be um, it's like when you get a camera and it says can handle up to four gig of um, SD or something like that. It's generally based on what is available at the time. Mm. Um, But if you stick, say, say they bring out a a four terabyte out tomorrow, you could go out and buy a four terabyte and use that on the Voyager Q. So when it says it can handle only you know two or three terabytes then it's only because that's what's available at the time of printing the manual yeah, yeah. sort of thing so so um, th- carry on oh, yeah i was just going to say with the eSATA port there's actually nothing different about eSATA um, than SATA it's just that it's actually a external way of connecting to the SATA that's on board so um, basically what it what it is, the reason that it's so fast is because you haven't got any electronics getting in the way of um, like, if you go firewire, you have to convert that firewire to SATA Mm. and SATA to firewire. So you have a little bit of a a performance hit there, but with eSATA, it's basically um, just, yeah, yeah, it's a lead that just plugs onto the board. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah.
0: So uh, what sort of native transfer, would that be a way to put it?
1: Um, Well, it, it's effectively like um, connecting a a SATA drive to the motherboard inside a computer. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. The, the only difference being is that um, the the lead isn't going uh, the the drive isn't going internally. It's it's going um, to an external connector, um, but. That that external connector on the back of the machine is actually going directly plugged on to the motherboard. There's no um, controller mechanisms in the in the way to actually convert the signal. Right. So you're basically it, it's whatever speed SATA can handle. That's what the the um, eSATA connector will handle.
0: Okay. And just to finish off in terms of the process, as I say, I, I, I did two initial – I put the first drive in, I did an entire first initial um, time machine backup, sw- uh, switched the Mac off for a moment, took that drive out, turned the Mac on, put the new drive in, and then did the whole thing again as though this was my first drive. Mm-hmm immediately took that one to work so what will happen is when I bring that one back in a month's time I'll plug it in I will say to Time Machine I want you backing up to this drive and it will look at it and say well hold on you know wow the things on that drive are really old compared to all the changes that you have made on your Mac in that month so in other words it'll, it'll just be as though Time Machine hasn't done a backup for a month yeah it will do that backup and then every hour or 2 hours and I'll explain how I've done that um it will do the the automatic backup from then on and the same thing will happen a month later it'll just be as though it's been missing its backup drive for a month mm. Yeah, um, and and speaking of alternatives and things like this, um, Newatech, the company that um, produce the Voyager Q, have been exceptionally kind and generous and donated a prize that we're going to be giving away on the website. Uh, it's called the Newatech USB 2.0 Universal Drive Adapter. I'm not going to go into detail here in the podcast about the product because there'll be a lot of it on the uh, website. But I am going to ask uh, people listening a question because they have to answer three questions. And one of the questions they have to listen to this podcast. So here is the question. The question is, in my review of the Nuatech Voyager Q, I compared the Voyager Q to a certain kitchen appliance. What kitchen appliance did I compare the Voyager q to A fork. <laughs> Not a fork. So hmm. um, uh, information about how to win the um, the drive adapter will be on the website um, tonight uh, when we publish this podcast as well. And that's so from newer tech. That is. They, that's amazing. That's really good yeah. of them. Yeah, very well, nice.
1: Just, just one thing with that, um, that universal drive adapter. Um, I was talking to Dave um, before the podcast started. Um we use these things at work and i can tell you now these things are an absolute godsend when you're um when you need to quickly hook up a, a a drive to get data off or something like that um we we use them all the time for when there's corrupted files and the machine won't boot up and stuff like that um we um we use those to hook up to um, cuz it basically converts the signal into usb 2 Um, Hmm. you can, as I was saying to Dave, I've found on many occasions where some files being been corrupted by Windows, I actually take the drive out of the machine, connect it to um, this universal drive adapter, and then hook it up to my Mac. And because Mac doesn't adhere to the Windows um, permissions, uh, we can actually access a lot of the files off there and reset. Um, the file and then put it back on Windows and the machine goes um, all honky-dory. Um... So they they are a fantastic unit and they're so good that everyone keeps um, nicking my one. So no matter how many um, I have, it seems to go walkabout. So I think I might be entering this competition for myself. <laughs> <laughs> there,
0: there, there's two things I like about that. One one the endorsement of the product. The two the, the, the nice little way you described how you use your Macintosh to um, fix PC machines. <laughs> nice. yeah.
1: it's it's funny. It, it's basically a big kicker and uh, kicking the chop is to all these people that say Macs are. Uh, uh, you know they're not worthy of anything it it's i've fixed so many windows problems using a mac because of the fact that um the mac doesn't adhere to any of the um the windows permissions um it it's just such a godsend um these units are really good so um if you're after a quick way to um hook up cuz the other thing too um these dry, these units will connect using sata uh, um i d e three and a half inch and i d e two and a half inch so you've basically got all of your drives covered um in terms of what you can connect to so um yeah
0: Great little product um Same backtracking a, a little bit Darren um, going back to my situation one of the uh, with the backups, one of the posts that you put on the forum was the suggestion of using burn folders mm. now i've I, I've never used burn folders I mean I'm fully aware of what they are, but do you want to describe a little bit about um, what they are and why you suggested that as an approach?
1: okay um the burn folders are a neat little um, feature of Mac OS 10 where you can create one of these folders and drop files into it um, and the when you click on um, burn basically it will burn that folder onto a DVD so um, you know you don't have to really do anything to like you don't have to fire up drive utility and, and create a new image and um, all that you basically dump the files into the burn folder click on the burn icon which is reminiscent of the burn icon in iTunes um, you click on that, and then it all goes goes onto a DVD. Now, the beauty of it too is is um, as I wrote a a blog entry called "The Power of Faking It" um, on the nzmac.com dot com website. Um, and what I was getting at is um, Mac OS X uses a feature known as aliases, um, which is basically a link to a um, kind of like a Windows shortcut. Um, you know how you create a shortcut on your desktop to a folder that might be on a, say, a network drive or something like that. It's kind of like that, except that um, an alias allows you to follow the path. So, um, for example, if you had a um, a folder uh, that, say, say your documents folder, you could actually drag the um, Uh, the Documents folder to the Burn folder. Um, But when you do it, you hold down Command and Option together um, or Apple and Option together and drop it into the Burn folder. And and you'll notice that um, a little arrow curving off to the right shows up um, as you're moving it along. Um, That alias when it's in the burn folder what happens is no matter what happens to your documents folder if you say create a new document when you go to do the burn folder because you're only referencing uh, the documents as opposed to copying the documents there which is kind of a static arrangement the alias um, uh, sorry burn folders when you run the burn uh, sorry burn the burn folder to a disk it follows that alias and then takes a snapshot of your documents directory at that time. And when you, so like with um, you, Phil, um, how you were doing your, your backups to a DVD and then taking that backup away, um, the, when, the next time you go to run that burn folder, it will then take a snapshot of the di- documents directory at that time. So it's actually a different snapshot Of your documents folder, each time that you run the um, the uh, sorry, burn the burn folder to a disk, Mm. Um, and and that's that's what I was sort of getting at with the with um, in in that blog entry with aliases. It's really handy way of doing it. doing backups really simply because all you have to do is just worry about one folder and just burning that. Um, But it does get a little bit tricky. I I don't know how it handles spanning. Um, I haven't tried that. Um, I wouldn't mind trying it, actually. I might try that tonight after the podcast um, just to see whether or not it works. Um, But, yeah, that that was one thing that I thought. Um, But I I also tend to use um, dual-layer DVDs it means that you get 8 gig to a disk as
0: opposed to the 4.3 gig. Uh, ask a silly question. Is there such yep. a thing as dual-layer rewritables? Uh,
1: yes, I think there is. Oh, okay. Yes, yep. Um, um, so is know,
0: there it, any so. a, any way with a burn folder to say, um, I mean, does if you use an alias, is it still going to give you an indication somewhere of how much, um, in terms of space you've u- used up? I mean, if if I'm saying I really want... Uh, sorry, I- imagine I set up three burn folders and I called them DVD 1, 2, and 3. Is there any way that I would get an indication that I'm sort of getting near, near a, a, a DVD's limit in terms of size by using a burn folder?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Um, okay. Let's go to the desktop and I can tell you um, so far...
0: Because I know that if you created a um disk image then you've got a set size and you can't put certain you can't put more into it, but of course the, the problem there is that it starts to take up space as well.
1: Yeah. Um so if I go back and then go get info. 300k on disk oh, No, that doesn't It doesn't actually Follow it that way
0: Oh, okay So you'd have to be Conscious of the fact That if you're dropping An alias in It may be an alias To a substantial amount Of files elsewhere On your Macintosh
1: um,
0: uh, The example yeah. The example being Your documents folder That you used yeah. yeah
1: Um. That that being said Though when you go For a burn It'll tell you whether. Oh, hang on Hang on a second I tell a lie Okay, actually, no, I, I just had a look. If you go into the burn folder itself, yep. um, if you, so long as you've got status turned on, it sees minimum disk size 390.4 meg, um, and that's just referencing an alias for my documents. So it tells you what size disk you need when you're doing the burn.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um. The other forum post that got a lot of interest was a discussion about a Mac Mini being used as an external hard drive, Mm -hmm. and um, I I think we helped um, Tybe or Tybee um, come to a solution, but perhaps the question that I thought was the most interesting was just at the end, and this um, reads as follows. Do you agree that keeping my two-year-old Mac Mini is the most cost-effective way of backing up my laptop data with Time Machine? Now I would have thought the answer to that would have been no because you know you're considering using a computer as a hard drive when you're probably better off selling the Mac mini and and buying a hard drive.
2: Yeah, but he's got he's already got the computer yeah, Exactly. Though. Yeah. So he's, he's got a sunk cost that's a recoverable asset that he's you know mm. that he can use so he's it would be silly for him to go off and buy it, an external hard drive I would think if he's already got a working mini. Mm. That's what yeah, I'm I, I read
1: it. yeah, I agree. There's no, I mean, it's cost-effective because he doesn't have to buy any more solutions. Mm. Um, the the only thing is, I like I tried it with my Mac Mini. Um, it does work if you do that um, uh, that document right that I um, uh, put on on the post. Um, it does show up in Time Machine once you've you've hacked it. Um, I wouldn't recommend it though. Um, a lot of the things. Um, That was said was basically, you know, it can do it, but Apple's probably um, uh, turned it off for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think I know what that reason is. It takes forever Um, because the the thing too is the Mac Mini. Its wireless is eight hundred two eleven G, so it's a lot slower than the eight hundred two eleven N. So you are you are downgrading your network, unless of course you plug the um, the Mac Mini into the gigabit on the On the router, um, and and do it that way, mm-hmm. uh, which probably wouldn't be a bad thing actually, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's still going to be s- slow. I, I think it's going to be as slow as as um, using the um, the time capsule. Oh, okay.
0: Well, I, I just yeah. twice, I was just looking at purely from a financial perspective. I thought he could possibly. Um, Sell the Mac Mini and buy an external hard drive, and have some cash left oh, over. Oh, you're
2: right, Phil. No, you're absolutely right. You probably could. Yeah, yep. you probably very easily could. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It just seemed a um, slightly sad waste of a neat little wee computer. <laughs> um, I, I didn't mean technically it wasn't um, possible, but um, what's feasible? Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah my, my Mac Mini serves as another backup, and and my idea of what backups are, because all my movie files sit on. Um, on my Mac Mini, I just dump all my movie files there um, because I use my Mac Mini as my media center. <laughs> um, so so that basically just sits there playing videos and all that. It's hooked up to my TV. And,
0: and what are you running stuff. as your um, media software on that?
1: I just use Front Row.
0: Oh, you do? Okay. Seems yep.
1: great enough to me. I mean, because the thing with Front Row too is any any plugins and all that that you've got for QuickTime, and I, I use Perian and... Um, Flip for Mac to to do Windows Media stuff. Um, uh, in anything, any plugin for QuickTime can be used by um, uh, by the Mac many using Front Row. Um, so I, I've basically I I can just dump files on there. Does not I don't have to worry about converting them or anything. Um, oh, okay. Although I do with MKVs, which are the Matroska files, video files, because the Matroska on the Mac is quite poorly supported but at the same time i don't really see any benefits of matroska um so i just kind of read it all the mp4 anyway and get smaller file sizes and i don't have to worry about the mac mini getting killed by trying to um do all this high definition stuff that you know doesn't really need to be
0: done (laughs) Mm, okay so that's probably a good chat about um backups and i think we've um Pretty uh, happy with how we're doing backup, or at least David and I are, and we're we're going to keep those of us that back up (laughs) exactly. We'll we'll keep nagging Darren uh, for his sake.
1: Tick 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 tick. That's my Russian uh, roulette wheel going on.
0: (laughs) Um, And so now it's that time of the podcast that we start going through some of our picks. And um, I'm going to start with David, I think, if that's all right.
2: Yeah, that's not a problem. Um, Okay, so we've been talking about backups and kind of mirroring um, a little bit. But one application that I use, because I mentioned earlier that that little, um, uh, that little to see rugged hard drive is too small technically to do a complete mirror of my hard drive on my MacBook Pro. But what I do use... To sync like, critical data, like my mission critical data, uh, I use an, applica- an app called uh, Chronosync. And that's at econtechnologies.com. It's $40. And I think it was one of the first apps that I bought when I switched over to Mac because I hadn't quite discovered super duper basically it's a synchronizing tool, so you, uh, you 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 launch it and you're able to pick you know left side right side and it can be a, a mac on a network it can be an external hard drive you pick the folder that you want to synchronize and then you can outright synchronize it now it's um, it brands itself as being relatively safe and, and it is because you can do what's called a trial sync so you can say you know just do a, a dummy run and show me what you're going to actually do and then that way um, you're not you're reasonably assured that you're not going to overwrite something on the destination drive wherever that happens to be um, inadvertently and you, you you might regret it later on um, so it it I use it to back up so I use it to kind of I attach this little the C rugged drive Firewire 800 attach it and say, uh, I tell chronosync right of these two folders, uh, you know, go and go and replace everything on the, on the destination drive on that Lacey drive with all the newer stuff that I've updated over the past, however many days it's been. So I've used it that way. But as I say, you can use it to synchronize. So you can actually synchronize to, uh, two drives uh, or two Macs over the network. The new version, which is version four, I believe, um, allows you to create a bootable backup. Um, it also allows you to uh, create an archive, so you can archive all the changes that you're making uh, when you you know, select a couple of folders. And you can schedule things to take place if you want. So if you have a drive connected all the time, you can schedule Chronosync uh, to do it at you know, or two, or 2 in the morning, whatever you want. Um, one of the interesting things about this is that that I quite like is that often I'm synchronizing, uh, you know, one or two folders that are in different places. Now, when you tell ChronoSync to kind of sync two folders, you can say, right, can you save that configuration for me, please? So, Because I'm going to use that again maybe tomorrow or the next day or what have you. Well, what you can do is you can say, you can pair two folders. So I can say, here's my target folder. There's my There's my destination folder call that a particular file, and then I can do the same thing with two two other different folders and then keep going as many times as I need to to cover all the folders that I want completely backed up. And then I can save that into, I think, what they call a container. And then all I have to do in the future is just r- literally run that container, tell ChronoSync to open that container, run all the little backup scripts in it, and it'll do it all for you. So it's um, it's a nifty little application for, for backups. Um, so ChronoSync, yeah, it's 4.0, and it's econtechnologies.com.
0: In, in terms of um, when people were offering me advice, there are a lot of applications that I looked at and very quickly got scared off by how confusing their interface was. Um, of ChronoSync and SuperDuper, which one would you think would be the easiest to use? Well, that
2: might not be fair because I think the power I think ChronoSync has I will say that I think ChronoSync has as is more powerful right. in terms of what you can do, but only marginally so. I mean Super Duper is, is fairly powerful in that you can exclude things and you can you can schedule it. Um, I think some people might open up ChronoSync to be perfectly honest and look at the various tabs and say, Whoa, what's going on? All I want to do is synchronize two folders. To their credit, they make it very easy to show you how to do that. And on right. on their website and their help folders and all that, they, they show you exactly how to do it. You don't have to, and I don't, you don't have to take advantage of all the, you know, the higher end kind of features that this that this application has. Uh, so you don't have to do that. But you you'd be, you might be overwhelmed by it, by looking at it, but you don't
0: have to be. Mm. Right. Okay, cool. Um, and it, do you have another pick for us?
2: Uh no, but I will thank you, Phil, very much for remember that. Remember that iPod or the app that you mentioned with the cat, banjo, the woodpile cat. Oh, have you? Did you purchase it? Yeah, did of you? course I purchased it. Because <laughs> it was Don Bluth, and after the podcast last time, I was sitting there going, "This is amazing" because it's just like Space Ace. It's just like Dragon's Lair. Um It's awesome. And did you know that it was actually a cartoon?
0: No, no idea. It was, it was an yeah, actual um, cartoon. Yeah yeah i I did see that they were
1: um the game was actually based on a cartoon
0: yeah um, I think he took the
2: cartoon um frames or whatever i guess it is and digitized them and then you know had made these little bits flash so that it's hard to I can't describe how you do it. My daughter looks at it, she's two, and she looks at it. She has no idea, of course, but she kind of looks at it because she likes the kitty cat.
0: I had to laugh because I was listening to Macbreak Weekly, and Leo Laporte is uh, hooked on the suggestion that Darren gave us both of uh, is it the flight center or oh. flight? Control? flight control. <laughs> yeah
2: thanks a lot, darren because <laughs> yeah, I'm addicted to that too.
0: But um, Leo Laporte had only got 25 planes landed. I was appalled. What did you I get? I managed to get
1: 91 the other day. What? Uh, yeah.
0: I've, I got 90 the other night. I'm upset now. I <laughs> can only do 66. Well,
1: I I've, I've only pulled it off once. I mean, I, I tried it again today, um, and I got 77, I think it was, and there was just planes everywhere, man. <laughs> it was like insane. It was awesome.
0: I don't know the, how to do it. I couldn't, the thing yeah. I find the most amusing is the very calm uh, 1960s music playing in the background. Oh. While, while oh, you've that got should be playing the whole
1: lot, shouldn't it? it just, yeah, that yes. old school sort of um, roaring now, 40s type music. Yep.
0: <laughs> now, I don't know um, if these tips are useful, but one thing I've noted is that you really can do a very abrupt flight path, so you can just straight in, doesn't matter where they are, mm. You know, it doesn't have to be all that easy to do. And the other really good thing I've now found is you can point the planes away to the edge of the um, phone or the iPod. So if there's too many coming in, you just turn them around and they go to the edge of the screen, bounce off and start coming back.
2: Yeah. Oh, really?
0: Yeah, so that gives you a bit of time. Because yeah, that's
2: just like real life.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, do a, I don't know what they say in aviation, but do another lap because the runway's tied up. It's called a go around, yeah. You, okay. you, think
1: yeah. That, you think that app is actually bad? You should actually try the one that Microprose did um, back in the 90s. Um, like, it was a proper simulation, and you. It had everything. You had to like reduce altitude, you had to turn the planes around, you had to land them, you had to take them off, um, you had to land them before they ran out of fuel, so you had everything that a flight control um, uh, person would actually do. And it was tough. I mean, that game, the the flight control game, is is pretty pretty tough. But this one here would just—I uh, mean—you would go spastic by the end of probably the first level. Uh, I just—I just like, so can't fun. get
2: past. I can't. What drives me crazy is it. My—I mean, my field, my in my professional career is in like air transport economics. <laughs> and what drives me crazy is that I kind of sit there and and try to do this damn thing, yet. I if you put me in front of a flight simulator I can put a 747 down no problem and but I can't do this bloody thing I can't you know I can't land a bunch of planes and I get really frustrated.
0: <laughs> well one of the things I find <laughs> frustrating about it I mean it's one of these games that will never have an end I mean you know mm. you, you just keep going back to it and want to do more Apparently they're yeah.
2: updating it though yeah. there people have been requesting that you if you can go back in time like 10 seconds and I I remember reading that going
0: yeah please <laughs> Yes, because that that, that so happens in life that you get 10 seconds to uh, avoid a disaster. Um, But since uh, uh, we're talking about some of Darren's picks, we'll move on to his picks for this podcast.
1: Um, To be honest, I've had to make a few rush picks um, because I I hadn't really thought that far ahead. I've just been so frazzled at work. But um, one of the Applications that I've been using quite a bit because I want to learn French. Um, there's an iPhone application called iSpeak French, um, and they actually have a number of other um, uh, translator um, um, applications out there, um, like German and Spanish and things like that. And it's quite cool. You basically got two boxes you've got um, the English and you've also got the French. So you can do English to French or flip it over and do um, French to English. Um, but it's also got this really cool button where you just say speak it. And so it can tell, uh, tell you how to speak the French um, with all the inflictions and whatever um, that you got to do. Um, and that, that's quite handy, you know, because one thing that I don't like about a lot of the French, um, well, a lot of the language... Um, systems out there is, uh, you know, like the books and all that. They give you, like, phrases that they think you might use as opposed to being more conversational. Um, And this application is good because you can, like, you can type a sentence that you would normally say in English. It would translate it into French, and then you can just use the, um, the speak it button. Hear how it's said, and then do your best to to copy that. So you're not really limited to certain phrases and all that. You, you can be a little bit more conversational in your um, uh, in language that you're um, you know trying to learn. Um, mm, sounds the, good. The other application, um, I don't know if anyone's used it, is uh, Motion X GPS. Um, it's a little another iPhone app. Um, It's probably the best GPS app application that's actually on um, the iPhone store at the moment. It's quite full on. It um, uh, it has map integrations, but it doesn't use Google Maps. It uses um, uh, Open open maps or open road or something. It's a, basically it's an open source version of, um, Google. Um, and it, it's designed more for like biking tracks and, and things like that. Whereas Google's more, um, roads and, um, you know, more if you're driving sort of thing, this is more if you're walking around and, um, cycling and things like that. Mm. Um, so that, that yeah, it's quite cool. good. it, it it has a lot of information like longitude, latitude, um, speed, direction. Um, so basically everything you'd need in a, um, uh, a, a GPS um, utility. Um, it's also got the ability to take photos and it'll, um, you know, take the photo based, what, um, insert the... GPS coordinates into the photo for use in, like, um, uh, iPhoto and all that sort of thing. Mm. Cool. Um, So, that's another. I I actually, there's two versions of it. There's MotionX Lite and MotionX, um, which is the main one. The main one allows you to save all your trips and things like that so you can build up like a journal of where you've been and all that.
0: Yeah, I think that's possibly Andy Anatko on MacBreak Weekly talked about this as well and he, he talked about the, the light version and I think he's got the um the paid version. So it sounds hmm. quite cool. Yeah, cool. Yep. What about you, Phil? Okay, I've got three uh, to go through. The first is a plug-in uh, for Safari and um, Firefox, and I've always had it in installed in Firefox and just switched it on if I ever wanted to look at a bit of eye candy, really, in terms of um, the way it displays images. It's called Cool Iris. You get it from cooliris.com. And um, the best way to describe it, I guess, is that it is a... Um, a bit like cover flow for the internet in terms of images. And it will go to somewhere like Flickr and display a number of images uh, via this sort of cover flow, but more a a wall of images that you flick through. It darkens the, the entire interface of your Mac and you're presented with all these images. And it's a bit hard to describe, but it's it's really nice. And the there was an update, I think, last weekend to version 1.10 and I'm fairly sure that this functionality is new in this version. It has an option to search your images on your own computer. So it actually picked up my iPhoto libraries. So within this really cool interface, you can now bring up all your images in iPhoto and flick through them. Um, sort of this multi, it's a bit hard to describe this sort of multi. CoverFlow environment. Just incredibly cool. Um, It's neat that when you have the plugin installed and you go to sites that will work with it, and I think even YouTube now works with it, you can bring up these wall of related videos and just sort of flick through them to find the one that you want by shunting all these images along the wall and then choosing the one you want to go with. Hmm. Uh, uh, It's completely free. Um, It's a superb uh, plugin to Safari and Firefox. The next one I wanted to talk about, I was, I was mentioning it a bit and talking about backups. Um, I've changed the Time Machine to backup every two hours, and I've just used a piece of freeware called Time Machine Editor. And you just simply open it up, say, I would like uh, Time Machine to backup every two hours instead of one, uh, hit save, and then it, it, it makes all the necessary changes. But it also has scheduling, so you can actually say, well, I only want Time Machine to run on the first Sunday of every month. And then you just simply click Save, quit the application, and um, the Time Machine information on your Mac has been changed. And so Time Machine will only run at that time. So what's the advantage of that, Phil? Why would someone do that? Um, if they had an exceptionally large backup that they didn't feel uh, needed to happen or the opposite, which is really for me, I didn't really feel that my Macintosh was changing so much on an hourly basis that I needed a time machine to run. Yeah. So, I, um, in fact, I reduced it down to three hours, not two hours. Uh, sorry, I increased the, the gap to three hours.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I never have a problem with mine going every hour because it doesn't – doesn't take any overhead, and it's really cool.
0: No, but I, I, I tend to use um, – I, I tend to have a lot of things that I download over the course of a night that I'm working on and that I will often trash. um yeah. and, and, you know, just software to try out and so on. Uh, and particularly if it's sitting on my desktop, I just thought, well, you know, I, I'd at least like a couple of hours to have a play with this before uh, – Time machine grabs it and says, Okay, I need to back this up for him. Yeah,
2: that's a, actually, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yep.
0: And the last one I wanted to mention is another freebie. So they're all free for me this time. Um, I, I've mentioned this as a uh, Mac piece of software. It's a great utility called Mac Tracker, and it's now available for the iPhone and the iPod Touch. Oh. Mac Tracker is a database of all known Macintoshes. Um, all their specifications, uh, what system you are able to install on each of these Macintoshes, and you can also hear the noise, the startup chime for all these models. And it's always been a utility that I've had sitting around in case someone has said to me, look, I've got a four-year-old Mac, can I run OS 10.4 on it? And you can just look on this and it tells you what the maximum operating system a computer will handle. And it's now on the iPhone, which I think is brilliant because yeah. um, the other day I was in someone's office having a <laughs> discussion and I said, Hold on, you know, when I get back to the office, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, so, Mac Tracker is a superb free utility and it's now available on the iPhone. Oh, wow. Does it include
1: good. like deconstruction manuals as well or anything like that?
0: No, no, I don't believe oh. so.
1: Because that yep. would be so handy in my job. Yes. Yep. Um, but I guess there'll be <laughs> issues with um, from Apple. I would say. Yes. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. Probably. So it's quite neat um, to you know start it up and to find out what the first Macintosh sounded like when it started up and all these sorts of things. So I quite like the fact that it's got the built-in startup chimes all there. What did it sound like? What did the? Can you hold it up to the? Yeah. Um, I haven't got my phone in the room, I'm afraid. Oh. I was I'd wor- worried that it would um, pick up. Um, oh, like mine did last time, yeah. Dick, yes, dick, yeah. Dick, 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 dick.
2: yeah. mine's on the other side of the room tonight, so.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> okay. um, I'll try and s- insert it into the podcast if we can remember later, perhaps. Yep. Hmm. And that's it from me. So I guess that's it from all of us, really, unless yeah. there's anything else, um, guys. No, that covers it. Okay, so thanks very much everyone for um, listening. We uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast and um, we hope that Darren's learned a lesson and that he has to go away and start backing up his computer on a more regular basis. You would sing that, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I like to tempt fate. Or our new slogan could be, don't be Darren, back up your Mac. Be <laughs> fate,
1: have a cookie, nah.
0: Okay, so thanks very much, Dave. Thanks very much, Darren. And thank you. And don't forget, everyone, to enter the contest for the newer tech prize on nzmac.com. Cheers, guys. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest presenter and do not necessarily represent those of nzmac.com.